Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Monday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. While the forecast there saying a little bit of uh, rain and met Aaron are saying that the early part of the week there will be some showers of rain and drizzle, not a lot, but the really good news is that we are set from some glorious conditions as we head into this week. And temperatures they say for Thursday could be as high as 24 degrees, which would put us on par with the weather in uh, Lisbon in Portugal. <laughs> it may even be hot than what it is in uh, Portugal and certainly it will be hotter than it normally is for this time of year. So a wonderful spell of weather on the way and with good weather on the way, interesting in the papers to see that dog owners have been warned to exercise caution if you're bringing your dogs out in the good uh, weather. Dogs Trust are warning people uh, because they know the temperatures are going to rise well into the 20s uh, this week. They're asking owners, especially those with older overweight or flat-faced dogs to be extra vigilant and to look out for signs of heat stroke, things like excessive panting, red gums and tongue, heavy uh, salivation, vomiting or diarrhoea or any sort of loss of uh, consciousness. So they're saying the dogs trust are, and lots of people are out walking their dogs obviously at the moment, which is terrific to see, but they're advising people when the good weather comes uh, as we head into the week early morning for the walks or later in the evening when the temperatures have cooled down and don't forget the seven second rule on the tarmac if you put your hand down on the tarmac or on the footpath and if you can't hold your hand there for seven seconds it means it's too hot for dogs uh, paws and I didn't think we'd be giving out that it's it's a piece of advice that we give out normally in July and August I don't think I've been giving that advice out before in uh, May uh, and obviously if you're going walking with a dog make, make sure you bring water with you and that they've access uh, to water and of course the reminder that comes out every year when we get any kind of spell of good weather that it, the do not leave your car your dogs inside in a car even with the window slightly open they were saying that the temperature can rise in a car it can go from 22 degrees to 33 degrees in a matter of a few minutes so just while you're popping into the shops thinking Fido will be okay Fido may not be okay so heed all those warnings please 
as we look forward to a wonderful spell of weather this week. Now Sadie and Bernie are taking your calls, John Paul, on a day off today. So uh, Sadie and Bernie taking your calls, 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love uh, to hear from you. You can text our WhatsApp as well to 86 And senior health experts are now intervening amid what has become, and it was really brewing over the weekend and political pressure coming on, to reduce the social distancing restrictions to one metre. Now, kicking it off yesterday was the Fianna Fáil frontbench TD, Darrell O'Brien. He insisted that the two metre distance should be halved and then Labour Party leader Alan Kelly, he also rolled in on it. He called for a nod on the impact of the restriction to one metre in the health service. But the infectious disease professor, uh, specialist Professor Sam McConkey, he's warned that reducing the distance could see the spread of the virus increase fourfold and obviously then could lead to the reopening of things like schools and airports being delayed. So he's, the health experts are saying, whoa, hold off, the two metre rule is in uh, place. We want to leave it in place. The HSE Chief's Clinical Officer, Dr Colm Henry, he insisted that there's no immediate plans to change the two metre rule and he reckons that that two metre rule, that social distancing that we've all now have gotten so used to has helped Ireland not only bend the curve but reduce the infection rate. Uh, Dr Henry recognised the impact on HSE services and businesses throughout the state by having the two metre rule in in place but he confirmed the measure would stay in place for the foreseeable future due to concerns of spreading droplets which would spread the infection obviously through the air and the reason that it's gaining so much attention and traction is the World Health Organisation are now saying that the two metre rule can be relaxed to one metre rule and if they brought social distancing to one metre it would make a huge huge difference to a whole host of businesses particularly businesses that are about to reopen and there's a big push on at the moment uh, to reopen some businesses earlier than what's planned in the, the various phases. And interesting to see that the Catholic priests are criticising the gen- members of the general public who are demanding that masses be reinstated. Now, at the moment, masses will go ahead from the 20th of July. And a group of Catholic priests are saying it's grossly irresponsible. It's the Association of Catholic Priests. They say that religious groups pushing for an early reopening of the churches and particularly to have mass said, and I quote, were promoting their own self-serving and self-interested agendas and that claiming entitlement to a special treatment was both inappropriate and unacceptable. So I know churches have reopened for private prayer, but there's still no masses. The masses go on behind uh, closed doors. So interesting to see that the priests are saying they don't think it's appropriate to have large numbers back in the church. Actually, talking of religious ceremonies, Saturday, last Saturday, I think, must have been one of the, what would have been one of the most popular days for First Holy Communions. I saw lots and lots of different things on social media of little girls who put on their communion dress just for the day that was in it on the day that they should have been making their communion and actually some of the papers are picking up in other parts of the country don't know if it, if it happened anywhere down here uh, where they did a virtual first holy communion where all the little girls uh, got dressed up it looked like it was done assuming on the Zoom uh, platform and the priest was inside in the church you know Lusk National School in County Dublin they had a ceremony they were all at home and then the priest was in the church doing the first holy communion now I don't know how they received the first holy communion but they certainly had a first holy communion Union Mass and there's 
lovely, lovely photographs of all of the children dressed up in their little First Holy Communion dresses. More the girls than the boys seem to be the ones who really felt they were missing out on their First Holy Communion day. They will get their their, their day, uh, but just we don't exactly know when. So while the priests are saying hold off too early to start having big crowds back in the church, hairdressing salons and barbershops. They're making a huge attempt this week to try to persuade the government to allow them to reopen. At the moment, the date set is the 20th of July. So the hairdressing salons and the barbershops are coming together and they're sort of putting a roadmap down to how they feel they can reopen their business. The Irish Hairdressing Federation said it plans to present comprehensive recommendations to the government in an effort to get salons opened early. There's 25,000 people, would you believe, employed in the sector and the Irish Hairdressing Federation wants to ensure that they can come back to work uh, safely, but they want to come back uh, early. We know what's going on in the black market and we've been discussing it here. There are a number of hairdressers working on the black market. People are so desperate to get their hair hair done. Uh, some hairdressers are feeling under pressure. They're afraid they're going to lose clients when a client rings up and says, call to my house, please do my, my hair. So we know that that's uh, going on. And I think hairdressers themselves have been in their salons they, and they've been trying to put in place everything that they can to make sure that, I mean, they don't want to go back unless it's safe. So, you know, I think they need to be listened to. If they feel that they're ready to go back earlier, then certainly I think uh, they need to be listened to. Now, we will be starting to reopen. We're, We're still in phase one. Where are we? We've a week down now in phase one. Another two weeks to go to this phase. So two weeks today will be June the 8th. Now, this is allowing that everything's going according to plan. Two weeks today, we'll see small retail outlets uh, open. They're the ones that have a small number of staff and obviously that's they need to be able to control the number of uh, interactions and how many people will be allowed in, into their shops. Marts will be able to open again if social uh, distancing social distancing will have to be maintained. This day, two weeks, June 8th, small groups will be able to train for outdoor team sports. They still won't be able to play matches. Public libraries, they even the, the librarians have been playing a blinder, I have to say, but a lot of people will welcome having the libraries back open, particularly, I think, families with small children. It'll be a place where they can bring their children, you know, while away a, a couple of hours. So that's all going to happen on phase two on June 8th. Then we'll have to wait three weeks to see how that goes. And that bring us up to phase three which will be the 29th of June 29th of June now is the date that the hairdressers are shooting for. They're saying let us open and we'll see what happens. We'll see will the government listen to them this week. But on June 29th, it'll see the phased reopening of creches, childminding and preschools for children of essential workers. I'm still not convinced that that's going to happen, but that's what's on the roadmap for the reopening. Organisations where employers have low levels of interaction with people, they can reopen. Cafes and restaurants providing food and drink on the premises they will reopen again. It'll be social distancing. And then so-called non-essential shops, they'll all reopen on phase three, which is on the 29th of June. We um, Visiting will be gradually reintroduced to hospitals, residential uh, centres and prisons again during phase three from the 29th of June. And then we need to go to phase four, which is the 20th of July. And that sees restrictions gradually reduced on some services. That's where the hairdressers and the beauticians, etc., uh, come in and the reason that they've left them for t- until 
phase four is uh, because of it, there's direct physical contact obviously between the hairdresser and the client or the beautician and uh, the client but a big push on now uh, by the uh, hairdressers and the government though they will consider accelerating the lifting of the COVID-19 restrictions if the number of new cases continues to decline. The Taoiseach Leo Varadkar has, says he'll consider making an announcement in early June on easing aspects of the lockdown. And he's always said that though from the start. Everything is dependent on how we go through the different phases. And if the numbers continue to decline, and they have been, let's be honest, they have been continuing uh, to decline. If that keeps going, then some of the restrictions, some of the lifting of the restrictions that maybe were due to be in phase four might be lifted in phase three. Hairdressers is is enough, is, is one example. If everything's going according to plan and if the hairdressers say that they can do everything that is possible to protect the staff and the clients, that may be, it may be one of the ones that will here, Leo Varadkar said, yeah, we'll move it from a different phase to uh, an earlier phase. Senior sources within the government are stressing that uh, such a move, though, would be entirely dependent on further progress in containing the disease. There's an internal debate in the government. It reflects the growing pressure, though, that's coming on business groups and several ministers who face a quicker uh, relaxation of the measures. I think everybody wants to see the, the country back up and running, but we need to make sure that we're back up and running in the safest way possible possible. We certainly do not want any kind of a second surge, for uh, example. And then schools. And we spoke a lot last week about schools and will when and if we'll see schools uh, reopen. And while there's still that uncertainty as to exactly when schools are going to reopen in this uh, country, if you look across the water to the United Kingdom, which is a country that certainly has suffered way more from the coronavirus crisis than we have here, their schools are set to reopen next Monday. And parents here in this country still unsure as to when our children are going to go back. Britain has opted to follow several European countries in reopening schools. When we had our discussions last week, we spoke about there's been 17 European countries who, when they started lifting their restrictions, the first thing they did on phase one was to get the children back in, into schools. We're following very, very different uh, plan here in this uh, country. And then only on Friday, after I came off air, I heard the education minister Uh, Joe McHugh uh, cast some doubt over whether our schools will open in September for all pupils. I think school doors will open, but how many pupils are going to go through the school gates? I don't know. Joe McHugh uh, said opening the schools in September, he accepts it's going to be complicated due to the current health guidelines and he highlighted overcrowding in our schools. He highlighted narrow corridors as being particular pinch points for the reopening of schools. The possibility of the closure of the schools being extended further was described by the Children's Rights Alliance as damaging to uh, students. Tanya Ward said they will suffer a learning gap uh, if this uh, occurs. So we still don't know if those schools are going to reopen. And when I heard all the arguments going on at the weekend about the social distancing and if we followed what is now recommended by the World Health Organisation of being one metre apart instead of two metres apart, 
that certainly would make a huge difference to the reopening of the schools because only last week when we were we remember we had um, one we had a principal join, join us on the school and she was talking about she's gone into a typical classroom trying to work out how many desks she could allow in the classroom on the two metre uh, rule and it was very little whereas if you brought that back to one metre if it was decided that one metre is all we needed for social distancing then it certainly would make a big big difference for the reopening of a lot of businesses but certainly for the reopening of uh, schools. 1850 I wonder of all of the different businesses and services and schools uh, what are you most looking forward to reopening? Would it be the schools? If, if you could today be granted a wish that one particular aspect of our lives would reopen and go back to some kind of normality what would it be? I'm imagining for parents with children they probably would opt for schools then I wonder how many of the ladies would say reopen the hairdressers and get us back into the hairdressers maybe the men are looking for the barber shops to reopen as well or maybe there's some little niche boutique that you're really missing visiting when did you last buy clothes I was only thinking of that the other day I can't remember when I last bought anything new from a clothing <laughs> point of view it'll even seem weird now to go in and try on an outfit or to even think about buying something and I suppose we haven't really missed out on buying new clothes because we haven't been going anywhere so the, the clothes that we have in our wardrobe are doing us fine 1850 if you want to share what you're missing the most at the moment and what are you most looking forward to at reopening Bernie and Sadie taking your course text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 I mentioned earlier about the wonderful warm weather that we're looking forward to Miss Erin telling us 24 degrees is what we're expecting on Thursday and then Dogs Trust the national charity for uh, for dogs was warning people do not leave dogs inside in a hot car and how in a matter of minutes a car on a day where it's 22 degrees it can jump to 33 degrees literally in a matter of minutes and it can be fatal uh, for dogs and to be very careful somebody says Tricia would you also remind people not to leave children in their cars in this hot weather I'm seeing an awful lot of it at the moment especially where children are not being taken into shops yeah whereas before the children would potter around the supermarket with mammy or daddy but now that's not always the case because there are some shops they have the one one person one trolley rule there's other shops are not welcoming of uh, children they don't want children to be inside in the stores so if mammy or daddy needs to go shopping children can be left in cars so do be careful of that thank you for that I should have when I was mentioning the animals I should have remembered the children as well. Thank you for pointing that out uh, to me. And Pat in from Moy, when I mentioned the argument that's brewing certainly on political cir- circles and I think in business circles as well about reducing the social distancing rule at the moment. It's Well it's always been two metres and bring it back to one metre. And I mentioned the World Health Organisation. Pat says the World Health Organisation is saying it should be a minimum of one metre for social distance. They're not recommending we change it from two metres to uh, one metre. Yeah it's up to each individual government where they set it at uh, but the World Health Organisation is saying it's a minimum of uh, one metre so I'm assuming Pat Infomoy is happy that it remains at the two metre mark John in Clonakilty says Patricia I'm reducing social distancing to one metre from two metre I agree yes that needs to be done but it's too soon uh, but we need to do it we need to wait this has happened in probably bring it in says John in Clonakilty in August for the children returning to schools it would be good to have it in place for when the restaurants and the pubs uh, reopen uh, if it's good advice from the World Health Organisation that it should be safe enough but don't do it yet please says John it is simply 
too early. Someone else says, when are nail bars allowed to open? I can't see it on the government page. Nail bars are down with the hairdressers down for the 20th of July. It's when they're set to reopen. And another listener says, Patricia, absolutely delighted to hear that the Minister is bringing in restrictions and asking people to self-isolate coming through our ports and uh, airports. But that should have come in last January. We have better restrictions on cattle in this country. If you bought an animal from a restricted herd, a farmer would end up in jail. That we threw open our ports, seaports and airports and allowed anybody in uh, into this country. Should have happened sooner. 1850-333-103. Bernie and Sadie taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, anti-cancer campaigners have pleaded for an action plan when it emerged last week that screening services will not resume for the foreseeable future, despite a growing backlog of undetected cancers. Health chiefs say it would simply be too risky. Joining me from the Irish Cancer Society is Advocacy Director, and that's uh, Rachel Moreau. Good morning, Rachel. Hi Patricia, how are you? I'm very well. Now as one local doctor last week took to social media to say that it was unacceptable that pubs could reopen before cancer screening. Uh, Would you agree that we need to get cancer screening back up and running sooner rather than later? I think that we really need a plan and we need it to be published urgently on how and when cancer screening is going to be resumed. Um, like we in the Cancer Society and many doctors and many of your listeners, I'm sure, would share concerns at the mounting numbers of people who've been unable to be screened for three cancers, which is breast, cervical and bowel cancer, since screening was paused in March. And, and you know that, that a screening programme helps find cancers at their earliest stage and generally before people have symptoms. And in normal times, it's really important that it's part of Ireland's overall cancer prevention and early detection strategy. So when it's not in place, we're missing chances to find cancer at that earliest opportunity. Yeah, and a lot of the people that get picked up, uh, Rachel, during those screenings wouldn't necessarily have had any symptoms. That's absolutely right, Patricia. So if you have any sign or symptom of cancer, it's really, really important that even though um, coronavirus is in the community, um, that people go to their GPs and GPs have joined our call um, for to encourage people to turn up to their practice um, with any signs and symptoms. And they're taking precautions to ensure the safety of their patients. So cancers are still being detected, even though you know, coronavirus um, is a feature across our health service. Um, and that's encouraged. But we also have like three great screening programs, and as you're aware, this, we've made a lot of progress in screening over the last number of years. And we need to ensure that we don't lose that, and that there's a plan in place so that people can avail of the programs that are there to, to protect their health. Now, Dr. Roland Glynn said it's not just the safety of the patients, but also the safety of the staff conducting the screenings. Do you believe there is a safe way to conduct these screenings? I think that, you know, we've found that other health services have plans to resume um, and with national guidance that doctors can be assured that their safety um, is being protected. But safety is paramount both for the patient and for the healthcare professional. And it's important that any health service that resumes, that there is clear guidance for both the patient and for the healthcare professional to resume that service safely because nobody wants a situation where somebody is put at risk um, because the service has resumed too quickly or without the proper preparation. So we're saying that we want screening to resume as soon as it is safe to do so. 
And when screening programmes do reopen, Rachel, do you fear a flood of cancer cases could re- could surface? That would be the risk. Um, for the longer the screening is paused, obviously the number of undetected cancers is increasing. Um, so usually around 11,000 people per week get screened across the three cancer screening programmes, which is a huge amount of people. And you can, just by even thinking about that number, imagine the, the impact of that number um, on the health services. Um, but it's really important that we have a plan in place that sees the resumption of screening alongside symptomatic um, services. So a symptomatic service would be um, where you go to your, your doctor and they do a test because you have a sign or symptom of cancer, such as bleeding or a lump. Um, but the two need to work side by side. And it's really important that the screening service and the symptomatic services are given the resources to behave in this new environment where there are restrictions in place and the restrictions might be in place for a really long time. Yeah. Um, so it's not really acceptable that the screening is paused indefinitely. And that's why we really need a plan in place. Um, that it's how, are, are, are you, Rachel, are you hearing anything about a plan in place? I mean, we have this road map and the different phases that we, you know, we're in phase one and we'll be heading into phase two. Is it mentioned at all in the roadmap of when screenings will be back up and running? So we haven't seen the roadmap. Um, we understand from the screening service um, that since uh, the COVID-19 pandemic started, that it's monitoring the feasibility of restarting the screening programmes and assessing the risks. Um, and I think that's what Roman Glynn was referring to. Um, and there's this overall HSE plan that's being led by the Chief Clinical Officer and the Chief Operations Officer in the HSB and that the National Screening Service are developing separate roadmaps for the recommencement of the the three cancer screening programmes on a priority basis um, as soon as it seems safe to do so. But that's of course going to require really careful planning to ensure that screening can be delivered in in a safe way and that people have their cancer detected as early as possible. Uh, and we know, and I've done countless interviews over the years, Rachel, of the importance of early diagnosis. Yes, absolutely. Early diagnosis is gives people the best chance of having successful treatment of cancer. Um, and screening programmes can detect changes in someone's body, um, sometimes before the, the cancer um, it, it even turns into a cancer. So... Early detection um, is does give people the greatest chance of a cure if caught early. And in a COVID-19 situation where health services are focused on dealing with the pandemic, we're worried that opportunities to diagnose cancer are being lost. And we have a national cancer strategy and it recognises that once a cancer occurs, the stage of diagnosis is probably the most important determinant of survival um, after diagnosis and um, the cancer strategy contains a number of targets to achieve earlier detection. So it's really important that we focus on the future as well because it's an opportunity of course that we can actually build back a better cancer service. Um, You know there's some good things that have come out of this such as the use of telemedicine and people are in the hospital less Mm-hmm. And there's other ways of doing things. So, you know, it's not about necessarily going back to normal because 
you know, in some ways, normal wasn't good enough because we, we had long waiting times and uh, there were inequalities in the health system. So maybe we should be focusing on what's possible, not with what we have in place at the moment, but what would be best, what is optimal, what's the best thing for cancer patients and people at risk of cancer. Okay, all right. And if nothing else, let's get the message out to people this morning, uh, Rachel. If anyone has symptoms, and I know dealing with GPs is all very different at the moment, but contact your, your GP. Absolutely, Patricia. Anybody who has a sign or a symptom, you know, everybody knows their their own body. Anything that you're you're worried about, go and talk to your GP. Um, your GP wants to see you, um, and hopefully, it'll be nothing, and and you will just get some reassurance. And if it is something, um, there there is a pathway there um, for you to get it checked out. Okay. Listen, thank you for that, and we appreciate you taking time to take our call today, Rachel. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Uh, that is uh, Rachel Moreau, who is advocacy director with the Irish Cancer uh, Society. Marion Fomoy says her daughter is waiting ages for a hospital appointment. She feels the hospitals need to be fully reopened and open and services running way before hairdressers and nail bars. And hi, Patricia. I'm wondering what about non COVID care? When will the health service get back up and going again? People need non-COVID care too. What about the backlog of outpatients appointments? It's worrying and concerning, says Marie. I know they've started, certainly across last week, uh, we were hearing of people getting hospital appointments, people who had appointments cancelled and the private hospitals because there is capacity in the private hospitals because thankfully we didn't get that surge that we that the powers that be were fearful we would get and they took over the running of the private hospitals but then of course many of the private hospitals were lying empty. So I know a lot of day case procedures are going on in hospitals So uh, and, and I know it's the, for the people that are waiting and have been waiting so long for a hospital appointment it really is very um, heartbreaking as they sit around and uh, while continuing to have uh, symptoms. 1850 but the message particularly when it comes to a cancer diagnosis or if you have a bump something that's just a lump something that you're just not happy with please please check in with your GP. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. today on C103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862 103 103 Now there's been some wonderful initiatives starting during the pandemic to help people get creative and only last Friday we focused on a virtual choir that has seen members join not just from all over the country but indeed from all over the world so a young journalism student has come up with a plan to try to get people writing a letter that hopefully will end up being published online Martha Brennan joins me from Kinsale Good morning to you Martha Morning Patricia how are you? I'm very well now can you outline your letter writing initiative please? So basically um the idea came from a project I was doing for my master's up in Dublin about um, emigration. And then obviously the project kind of tanked because everyone's kind of coming home or else they're stuck where they are. So I thought it would be nice to kind of start like writing letters between the people I was going to interview. And then I thought it would be a great idea just to like open the project up for like anyone that wants to take part. So basically the idea is just to write a letter to anyone you want, if even if you haven't had to return home from somewhere or the person is abroad. And it can be for whatever you want as well. So if you had to leave the city or you're in college somewhere and you had to come home or you have someone away that's in Australia, anything like that, or even like a pet, someone you're missing, um, anyone at work you want to like thank for their work or anything like that. Um, and all the letters are anonymous. So you just write it to um, the email address I set up and then 
all the letters um, hopefully will be published online so that everyone can have a read and maybe just feel like a little less alone in what they're mm. feeling because we're all kind of going through the same thing now. And the letter can be, can it be about anything? Anything, yeah. So the idea originally was about people being abroad or that you had to return home even if it was from, like you had to move from Cork City back home um, to wherever you were living. But I like anything you want because it's, just, it's so much easier to kind of put your feelings in a letter, Yeah, I think, than saying it to someone, especially if it can be anonymous. And, and then, it doesn't even have to be about the pandemic. No, anything you want, yeah. Just anything at the moment that you're kind of thinking that you just want to get something out there and maybe just putting it on a piece of paper or in an email is the easiest way to do it. That's terrific. It, it really is terrific. Are you going to write a letter yourself to be included? Yeah, I think so. I'd say um, I haven't actually picked yet, but my dad lives over in America. Yeah. So I'll probably write something to him, all right, and then I'll publish it up and send it to him afterwards, hopefully. And as you say, it'll when it goes up online, nobody will know who whose letter it was. No, unless you want to. So if you want to sign it, you can. perfect. But if you just want to leave it blank and just write it to whoever blank. Um, I'm going to make a website and put them all up and then you, everyone can read them all in the same bunch then. Okay, that's terrific. And where where online will people be able to access them? Um, so right now I'm just collecting them up in the email so okay. they can all be emailed or if you want to if you want to do a handwritten one and take a photo of it as well. Oh, um, the good, the good like, old handwritten letters are. Yeah. And do you know something? I've been talking to the postman because I'm here when the post gets delivered in, in the morning. And the, I mean, the postmen and women are just flat out busy at the moment. And I know a lot of that's to do with shopping online. But the amount of people that have taken up letter writing. Yeah, it's great. And I've kind of been doing it myself after unposted out sent out the postcards yeah it was great wasn't it it's a wonderful it's it's a gorgeous skill to be able to write a letter but there's something very special about opening an envelope and a letter be it handwritten or typed or whatever there's something magical about it yeah and if people want they can um, just send me the photo of the letter if they wanted to post it on afterwards yeah yeah, so well that they can still post it to the person if they want it afterwards. Well done. And you said it was part of your master's. Are you finished? Are you finished your course now? Just about, yeah. So we just have the final project, and then we're just waiting on placement, and then that's it. Yeah. So you're graduating in the in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Well, the graduation now won't be until March, but. <laughs> Finishing up in the middle of one, yeah, a little, okay, little so, different to what we expected. And hopefully that'll be all, all. It'll be all okay, and you will get a graduation ceremony because, of course, many graduates are not getting their ceremony. I know we're lucky that ours wasn't meant to be for a while anyway, so okay. they were able. They just pushed a little bit further. And that's fine. And I've seen, I've seen your name. I'm sure on in the Echo. Have I seen your traffic? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. So you I work do a little I, bit of writing there. Yeah. Oh, okay, so is that just freelance, or are you? Yeah, just, yeah, every so often, yeah. We so, didn't get much time now between the Masters and all the courses. <laughs> no. What's the long-term goal, Martha? Um, I'm uh, not actually sure, to be honest. I think just keep working my way up in the newspapers and then, I mean, right now, it's like <laughs> try just trying to find any job at the end of this. I know, degree. <laughs> I know. I've, listen, I've, I, it's, so, it's tough for anybody starting out on a career at the moment. Who could have predicted that it was going to be in Definitely. the middle of a, of a pandemic? But listen, your letter writing initiative, I think, is just wonderful. It's just wonderful. So how, where, what's the email address? So the email address is returninghomeireland at gmail.com. Returninghomeireland at gmail.com. And as I say, it'll be people want to keep it anonymous and I think people will be a little bit braver if yeah, they know it's anonymous anonymous and it, and they don't have to be like 
long-winded letters. I mean, if you just want to write one line to someone, like absolutely do that as well. You don't you don't need to be a great writer to do this at all. Okay. Well, we wish you luck uh, with it and good luck in your career as well, Martha. And thanks a million. Thank for, you so much. Well, thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Brilliant, thank you. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is um, Martha Brennan, uh, who is a young journalist. I said journalist student. She's a journalist. And uh, she joins me from Kinsale. 1850 333 103. Sadie and Bernie taking your calls. Jean-Paul is on a day off today. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Can we say happy birthday to Mary O'Driscoll. Mary is in Deer Park Nursing Home in Bantry. And Mary, your daughter Betsy was on the line wanting to wish you all the best on your birthday and she is so missing seeing you and there are so many other family members in the same situation they can't wait for the lifting of restrictions at the nursing homes so that people will be able to go back in and see their their loved ones it's it's such a tough tough time so happy birthday and I'm sure the staff at Deer Park Nursing Home in Bantry are making it a very special day for Mary O'Driscoll on her birthday indeed. Hi to everybody else at Deer Park Nursing Home in uh, Bantry. We hope your day is going well. Now we have to, we're heading to the newsroom at 11 o'clock. We have got Sadie and Bernie taking your calls at 1850 I can already see questions coming in for Annalise Drissel on Nutritional Therapist. Keep those coming for later on in the programme. If you have a question, get it in uh, to us. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. In the next hour, we're going to hear how the Irish Wheelchair Association are adapting to what is a very changing world. And we speak with uh, one of their service users who's got a really fascinating life story to share with us. That's all coming up after news at 11. Before we- You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed get some of your texts uh, coming in. I just want to give a quick mention to a call that we got in earlier this morning from Jim. don't know if anyone has any advice for Jim, but Jim is a medical card patient and he has ended up with cataracts that need to be operated on in both eyes. He was told that if he was to join the public waiting list, he would be waiting at least two years. Yeah, and there will be two years for the first eye, Jim, and then he'd have to go back on the list for the second uh, eye. So he decided that he would look into going private. So he's looked into going uh, private. He's actually booked uh, an appointment. It's costing €2,400 per eye. But he's wondering, does anybody know if there's any sort of grant available or could anybody offer him any advice on how he could pay the €2,400 per eye? Now, he has heard about the cataract bus because the minute I saw Jim's call come in, I straight away thought about the cataract bus going up to Belfast, which obviously is not happening at the moment, but no doubt that will be back up and running uh, again. Uh, But he said he's very much aware of that, but he just feels the he wouldn't be comfortable about travelling up north. I think it's the length of the journey puts a lot of people off even though Jim I have to say over the years I've spoken with so many people that have taken that bus to Belfast and they say it was the greatest thing that they ever did not just for cataract operations we've had people who went for knee operations we've had people who went for hip operations it's the cross border initiative and what happens there is you pay up front and then you'll get the money back Uh, so I don't know of any other scheme, Jim, that's available that would let you get your eyes done here locally and then be able to somehow claw back through a grant. But we'll give it out to see if anybody has any advice for Jim who has opted to go uh, private. But that's going to be 4,000. The bones of 5,000 euro Jim is going to have to come up with 
to pay to have both of his eyes done uh, privately. 1850 Some of your texts coming in. A lovely text in from a listener in Mill Street to say, Hi Patricia, listening to your interview in the last hour with Martha, the, journal, the young journalist who's setting up the letter writing uh, initiative. Well, I write letters with a fountain pen and I really enjoy it. I know it's so easy to get onto social media, but it doesn't, in my view, have the same meaning as a good handwritten letter. Uh, and that comes in from a listener in Mill Street. Goodness, that brings me back. Writing with a fountain pen and there is something wonderful about writing with a fountain pen. Certainly when I went to school I was of the generation where we learned to write with the good Loretta nuns with a fountain pen and even now I haven't written with a fountain pen in years. I might, might, when all of this passes over, get myself a a decent fountain pen. There is something lovely and your handwriting I think is immediately better isn't it? When you write with a fountain pen. I, I, I don't know if it's because of the way you have to lean on the pen or what, but certainly there is something gorgeous about a handwritten letter with a fountain pen. So keep it up. And that's to for a le- listener in Mill Street. And thank you uh, for contacting us. Now, I asked people to give a shout out or let us know what are you most missing with all the lockdown that's going on? And we know the different phases we're going through and various things are going to reopen and we'll be able to travel further. But what, what are people most missing? Let me give you an example of some of the suggestions coming in of what people are missing. Tim uh, says in reference to what people want to open soon, I can't wait to see the airports back up and running. What I'm really really missing is travelling to see my sister in Bristol. I would normally by this time of year have been over to her twice at this stage. So obviously Tim has missed out on two trips to uh, Bristol. Hi Patricia one thing that I'm really looking forward to says Ellen is live music and maybe a day at the seaside yeah I can't wait for a day at the sea and with the weather so fantastic at the moment just to walk on the sand that on a warm sunny day you know with your shoes and socks off that feel of the sand on your feet there's something magical about that uh, indeed and Ellen also missing live music and a Cork City listener says Patricia I can't wait for the charity shops to reopen and cafes I actually am a charity shop volunteer so missing out on the social aspect as well of going off and doing your volunteering. But I think some of the charity shops, because I know we were speaking with the societies of Vincent de Paul, they already have plans in place to try to get the Vincent's shops back up and running. They're putting the planning in place because social distancing once the shops reopen. Uh, so they are hoping as soon as they are allowed that they will be reopening. And some of the smaller ones may be able to uh, reopen when we get into the, the second or the third phase. You know, when smaller shops can reopen, you may see some of them. Actually, it's funny the amount of people that have missed the charity shops it's the one thing that keeps coming up when we're talking about what people are missing. So many people talk about the great work of the charity shops and talk about the great bargains that that are to be had at charity shops. So people are really, really missing them. So it will be great to see those back up and running. Someone who's not a fan of nail bars uh, says, how can nail bars reopen? Some do not have hand washing facilities and often use the same nail files and buffers are all used on the same clients. Yuck says this texter I uh, wake up I have seen some of these places and the prices that they charge can your listeners tell me are they all the same I accompanied a friend and saw that I wouldn't be going at myself certainly the nail bar that I've any nail bar that I've been used there's always been facilities there's always been like a toilet and and wash and basins for people to uh, wash your hands and nail files and buffers I'm assuming are sterilised in between 
uh, clients and certainly that's that's what I've seen so I suppose it depends on the nail bar that you actually go to. On pubs reopening a listener says that this listener feels pubs should not be reopening until at least next spring. I don't know if many people would agree with you on that. There are many people can't wait for pubs to reopen. And Sandy, this is, ties in with the opening up of schools. Sandy said masks should be made mandatory and that would get children used to wearing them. Then if we children used to wearing masks, schools should open this summer. As immune systems are stronger at this time of the year, you could have rows of desks set up with children facing each other and then a glass or perspex screen between each child at the front and the side, plus the children would be wearing masks. Then have a one-way path system between the rows. Hallways could be similarly split so that it's a one-way system with gaps to correspond with doorways. Fresh air should be provided by hallway doors and windows being opened in all public buildings as opposed to unfiltered air circulating only, says Sandy. And that could be achieved in the summer months with this wonderful fine weather uh, that we're experiencing at the moment. So there's Sandy trying to think outside the box. And I think for the schools to reopen, that's exactly what is going to be needed is a little bit of thinking outside uh, the box. And then on the whole notion of children not being in school and the fears that we close the schools because of the spread of COVID-19 and the leaving cert exams were cancelled because of the spread of COVID-19. And yet somebody says the amount of youngsters gathering together, they may as well scrap social distancing. What is it about the youth of today? And then a number of people are saying, Patricia, did you see the social on social media at the weekend the videos of what happened in Cork City the Rochester area of Cork City wasn't it Mount Oval on Saturday night when a large cohort of teenagers uh, gathered it looked like it was planned to in, 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 in fights were breaking out all over the place it was just incredible to watch, I have to say. But numbers of people are saying so much for social distancing when you witnessed what happened with that with those fights in Mount Oval. And to think we cancelled the leaving search because students were stressed out and afraid of getting COVID-19. There was no fear of COVID-19 at the scenes I witnessed online, says um, Jerry. And many people videotaped it and social media was absolutely awash with the video footage from it. Witnesses claimed the scene seemed to be organised and it seemed to be a coordinated one. Now, Gardaí are investigating after several units were dispatched from Toker and Douglas. They've appealed now to anyone with information about the incidents or concerns about antisocial behaviour to contact their local guard the station. I'm assuming all of those people that put up video evidence of the fights will be asked to submit that into the guard the uh, station. And I know Mary Rose Desmond, who is a local Fianna Fáil councillor like she was making the she acknowledged that most young people have been a source of pride during lockdown and that the entire group do not deserve to be tired with the same brush and I think that you know that's that's a fair enough comment to make and she did say that the Gardaí did respond quickly but of course lots of people are saying where were the parents in the middle of all this because they certainly looked like young teenagers and did their, did the I suppose, did the parents know what, where the young people were or what the young people were getting up to 
And while that was going on in Rochestown, there was also reports of about 50 young people gathered in Cove on Saturday evening. And obviously people were getting so worried about this crowd that had gathered in Cove with social distancing and all of that that the Gardaí were called. So they came and dispersed the crowd, but they had to do it on a number of occasions. One person was eventually arrested while another had to be taken away in an ambulance after being injured climbing over a, a, a fence. The incident in the Ballyno area of Cove comes after reports during the week of groups disregarding social distancing in the town. Despite the youth being injured and taken away in the back of an ambulance, Gardaí had to again return to the scene when another young person had to be arrested. The youth's parents were called to the guard the station upon which he was released. Could you imagine getting that phone call to say your beloved Johnny or Mary is down the guard the station. Can you come down so that we can uh, release him into your uh, care? So, you know, you have on the one side all of these children and they are children, they're under 18s, they're out of school because of COVID-19 and yet we see displays like this of it, it was just the violence so from Mount Oval was was absolutely shocking and you know when I was and I find it difficult to watch those scenes I have to say on uh, Facebook but the one thing that always when, when, when I'm trying to half watch it between you know my hand up to my face trying to watch the bits that I can watch you'd always be afraid of and we have seen families devastated by one punch somebody lands to the ground and they just happen to hit their head the wrong way um and a life can be lost and then a family is devastated and the guy who swung the punch at the person never intended to kill the person but their life and their family's lives are, are devastated as well. I don't know what the solution is. I mean, in fairness to the Gardaí, they have enough to be doing without constantly getting calls to say that there are groups of young people and while it's Cove and Rochestown are in the papers today for it, I'm assuming I could open the phone lines and there isn't a town or a village where I won't get calls in or areas of the city where I won't get calls in from people saying, yeah, it's the same in our area. Gangs of young people uh, hanging, hanging around. But, you know, what will be said on the other side? Well, where, what, that's what young people do. Young people, they're social creatures. They've missed out on so much of schooling. They want to be out with their friends. But it's when you get large groups together, particularly with everything that's going on, with COVID-19. It's exactly what we don't need. We don't need these large groups together because the fear is that what if one of them had COVID-19 then they spread it to the entire group and the entire group brings it home and we will never get rid of uh, COVID-19 if we have large groups like that uh, hanging around together and certainly getting involved in the brawl that we saw in Mount Oval. Uh, your thoughts welcome down at 1850 Bernie and Sadie are taking your calls and also interested in your calls on a listener bringing up about the Late Late Show on on Friday night which I watch and I have to say with no is it only me but with the no audience on the Late Late I think uh, Ryan Tuberty is playing a blind I think the show is actually better I, I, and, and I can't explain why it would be better without an audience but I, I, I for me, certainly, I've never, I've never been a fan that I've watched every single week of the late late. But certainly during locked <laughs> this lockdown, I've watched it. Maybe there's nothing else on the TV on Friday night. I don't know, but I've been enjoying uh, the shows that I that I've been watching. Anyway, the listener is commenting on the Daniel O'Donnell and Magello O'Donnell interview, who I, which 
I thought was wonderful. I thought it was a lovely, lovely interview. I think the chemistry between Daniel and Magella and that, you know, that B&B show that they did where they went around the country, I thought it was just fantastic. And they have this wonderful, wonderful chemistry between them. Anyway, this listener says, watch the Late Late on Friday night. Daniel and his wife Magella appeared uh, and they were asking for donations and support for the Society of Vincent de Paul, which is a terrific organisation and indeed an organisation we featured on the programme last week to try and encourage people. And a lot of money was sent in, which was great. But... The problem this listener has is hearing, and I must have missed this bit because I didn't hear this, but seemingly Daniel O'Donnell and Magella travelled down from Donegal to Dublin in order to take part in the interview and they did it on a private jet. This listener says that in my mind was an insult to the charity that they were seeking donations from the general public for. They could surely have driven by car. They'd been down in Dublin in a few hours. The cost of hiring a private jet would surely have been a lot of money for the charity. They could have given it instead to the Society of Vincent de Paul. So shame on them for using a private jet. They should hang their heads in shame. I wonder, could you call this out? Because I'd be interested to see what do other listeners think. Have a great day and uh, stay, stay safe. And I don't know what the end figure was. Was it up about 400,000 or something they raised? I mean, I'm sure the Society of Vincent de Paul were thrilled with it. I hadn't realised that they travelled down by private jet and I have no way of knowing how much a private jet would cost from Donegal to Dublin but I imagine that it doesn't come at cheap and if they didn't want to drive down they could have done it I mean lots of the interviews have been done over Zoom and, and it looks quite it looks quite good and Skype etc and it seems to work out quite well for, for other guests but anyway this it irked this listener did anybody else did anybody else take offence to that that Daniel and Magella travelled down by jet and I'm assuming they're a wealthy couple they were able to pay for the, themselves but should they instead have come by car and failing that should they have just done it from the comfort of their own home uh, but I suppose doing it from the comfort of their own home he wouldn't have been able to sing and that was the whole point of bringing them down was to, was to get him to sing live as well anyway people's thoughts on that was it a waste of money and could that money instead have been given to the Society of Vincent de Paul who are really really strapped uh, for cash at the moment because as, as when we did an interview with them last week it was pointed out to us their problem is their church cake collections are gone um, their shops are closed so they need money more than ever at a time when there are more people looking for the help of VDP. Uh, 1850-333-103 By the way the phone lines have been particularly busy today so don't forget you can always text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 C103 And a childbinder is wanted four days per week it's for a six month old baby in the Clonakilty Rathbarry area Childminder is also wanted in the Mallow Donnerail area two days per week and it's for two girls aged nine months and three years of age. Care is wanted for home care services that's in Formoy, Castle Lines and Connor areas and the Fresh Fish Deli in Skibbereen. They're recruiting production assistants to work in their busy commercial wholesale and kitchen. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Or today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And thank you to a huge number of people who want to jump in straight away and defend Daniel and Magella uh, O'Donnell 
on the, the texter who said that they had come down by private jet from Donegal and how much did that cost? It wasn't a private jet, points out a lot of listeners, including Esther. But there was only three people on the flight, so they joked it felt like a private uh, jet. Magella has actually made a statement about it, says Esther. Someone else says they flew, it was an Aer Lingus plane. And someone else says it wasn't a private jet, it was a joke, it was an ordinary plane, but just felt like a private one because it was so empty. They don't strike me as the type of people that would be jumping on private jets particularly bearing in mind that they were coming down to try to the only reason they were on the programme was to try to promote the societies of Vincent de Paul and to raise money for them so thank you thank you to a huge number of people I knew them at the phone lines lit up I said there's something wrong here so thank you uh, for people who took time out to contact us now like a lot of other organisations the Irish Wheelchair Association has had to change the way it delivers its services during the COVID-19 crisis so to chat to us about how they've adapted I'm joined by Mags O'Connor, who A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Is service director with the Irish Retail Association in Mallow, and in a couple of minutes, I'll speak with one of the service users. But Mags O'Connor joins me first. Good morning to you, Mags. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Now, firstly, your community centres are all. I mean, I'm assuming they're all closed. Just to explain what services, when they're up and running and open, do they provide? Well, I suppose in normal times, um, we would support, we have a community outreach service, so people would come into our centres, we'd run projects, programmes, we'd have group things, um, so, you know, say drama, anything that the service users, the people that use our services say that they'd like to do, and we would also have individual supports, we'd be about people being part of their community, which is so important, so supporting people to access, you know, their local towns, their local courses, whatever supports people need. So it's very important. It's, it's the bringing together of people is really what what people want. You know, they they like meeting each other and having the social interaction that comes with that. Um, so that's our usual um, form of service. And then COVID-19 arrived and uh, like yeah. all centres like your own, uh, you had to close almost overnight. Absolutely overnight, yeah. I suppose that when we heard that the schools were closed, closing that was when a decision was made that we would have to change our our focus and our way of delivering services so overnight um our in-house services became an outreach so our we brought the centre to people so So explain how that works so um we would contact people on a daily basis 
Um, we support people to with shopping, with you know prescriptions, the very practical supports. Um, but in, as well, we support people with continuing the the interests and the hobbies and activities that they had um, prior to COVID nineteen. So we would bring information packs to to people. Um, we bring different projects, you know, art projects, art activities, um, so that people have something. To, well done. To do. Well, yeah. well done. Because would I be right in thinking that um, a number of your members will be very vulnerable to COVID nineteen? Absolutely, and I suppose that was quite a worrying time for people who use our services because you know they're they are dependent on assistance, and you know they they would the number would have underlying conditions that would make them more vulnerable. So I suppose one big aspect of this is the social isolation that people are Mm. feeling. I know, like everybody, but particularly so because, you know, they were, people are cocooning. And that's vital link with other people, you know, similar situations that peer support suddenly was gone overnight. So, um, So I suppose... With modern technology in some areas, so say in, in Mallow, we're using Zoom. Yeah. And we're we're learning as we're going, but you know, some whatever people have access to um technology like that, so that they can actually see each other. And that's so important. And you know, it makes just seeing a person and having the interaction with, with each other is really, really vital. Um and that so that's I suppose possibly the way things will be going, you know down to the in the future nobody knows but it's been very very helpful yeah um, it's, it's becoming our, our new normal and Mags, absolutely what what happens if one of your service users would need to go into self-isolation does that bring with it its own challenges yeah well i suppose with our our assisted living service has continued as well in fairness and um, providing the vital support and the critical to keep people at home and with personal care so um one of the uh, the responses that the IWA had was a, an emergency response team. So that's acting as a kind of a third layer of support, if you like, for following family and the HSE. So we would continue to provide support and care for somebody if they had to go into self-isolation. So um, it's a case-by-case basis, you know, supporting essential care needs. And it's a testament to the our frontline staff, really, who are, you know, they continue to support under those circumstances because our our focus is the people who use our services, well and we, you know, so we we know how essential the service is. Um, and, and I'm assuming with all the social distancing, do you have to wear PPE gear? Is you know, staying two meters apart when you are well, calling to people? Yeah. So, for example, with our outreach service, we would call to people because we find that you know, a phone call is great, but it's really the the interaction, it's the seeing a face, you know, can make such a difference. So we would be very careful in maintaining social distance, the two metre. Um, we would use gloves, say, for example, if we're handing over any packs or anything that we are um, getting together in the in the centres ready to go out. All our staff would be very, very diligent in wearing, you know, sanitising, wearing gloves, PPE, just to ensure that every the safety of everybody um, and the the social distancing, we would you know we've had situations say the person could be at their front door, we're in the garden standing, we could be standing there for an hour chatting. Uh, it doesn't yeah. matter. We we have all the time in the world because that's what is so important to people is to keep that connection. Well done. Um, well done. Yeah. So you know whatever we we can do, we are doing. Okay. You know. It's, 
Oh, yeah. I, I, I'll talk to you in, in a moment about fundraising and how fundraising activities must be affected uh, because of COVID-19. But I want to bring in somebody who knows only too well the great work of the Irish Reacher Association. I want to go to Clonakilty, where I'm joined by uh, Marco Sabatini. Is it Corlone? I hope I'm pronouncing you right, uh, Marco. Was, was I? Corleone. Um, oh, well, you're welcome, uh, Marco, to the, to, to the programme. I have to say, you have an incredible life story uh, to share. Uh, it really is unreal. You, you spent time, and I don't have time to go through it all, unfortunately. We'd be here, yeah. I'd say, for a week. You should write a book, can I suggest, if no one has ever I'm, suggested I'm to you. Doing that. Ah, well, that's a good suggestion. Uh, now, you spent time in the army in, in the United Kingdom kingdom and then when yep. you left the army you found yourself in Bosnia in the yep. early 1990s talk yep. to me about that stage in your life and then ultimately what happened to you when you were in Bosnia okay so what happened was um, I originally went out as a freelance for a journalist and we were sending all the photographs and information back to the UK but unfortunately I found out not long into it that the items are all being locked down in a media library and they weren't actually going out in magazines or the newspapers because they were classed as too horrific from the British government. So I decided being ex-military and part of my skills in the military was being a trauma medic. I decided if I could find some aid work to do. And I was sat there pondering what to do one night, and I got chatting to a guy who was actually running a... It was a disused um, mountain rescue school up in Bihaj Mountains in Bosnia. And uh, we went up there, and he had young lads who were actually dying of hypothermia during the winter because they were giving most of their food to the kids and not wearing their proper clothing. So I reorganized all that kind of things and helped him and showed him the importance of eating and wearing the right protective equipment. And I was with them back and forward, driving back and forward from Bosnia into Croatia to pick up supplies. And one night we were going in, um, I drove down and my friend was driving back, he was a young volunteer, and we hit a explosive device. Unfortunately, he was killed outright in the accident and I ended up with lower lumbar spinal injury. And did you end Um, up in a wheelchair at that point in time? No, I was given like sticks and a a temporary chair at first from the hospital I was in in Zagreb. But um, what happened then was... um, There was one morning I was getting ready to come back to the UK and I was actually arrested by the special police who um, were a special unit attached to the civilian police or with them and sort of military personnel on the grounds that they checked and thought because I was ex-army I probably wasn't, you know, they thought my press accreditation and my... um, Aid working was a front to being a mercenary. And I was teaching Muslims to fight, which was totally untrue. And they arrested me and they gave me beatings and um, various methods of torture um, while I was in their custody. 
And it was, I was with him for approximately just under a month, which was like hell on back. And what happened was the um, special police took me to a special court hearing early hours of one morning and I bumped into someone from the British consulate purely by accident. And once he heard me speak in English to the guards to try and communicate for a drink, because uh, English was virtually zero, um, he interrupted and took me into another room. And once he got my name, he said, uh, oh, you were arrested yesterday for drunken disorderly and attacking Oh, my goodness. Officers. And I said, no. And that was obviously a story what the, that, they, that they had made up. Yeah, so they so so it was the, it was that gentleman helped you and and you did manage to get back to the to the United Kingdom. But when I you did. when you got back to the United Kingdom, uh, Marco, you fell on pretty tough times. Well, I did in London. I I turned up back to where I used to live. I used to live in the borough of Westminster, which is a really nice area in, in London. I had a first floor flat, but unfortunately, it was stone staircase, so they couldn't adapt it for anything for me to get back up there. But my landlord was very, very good in the respect that he let me out of my lease without any extra charges because it was a long lease flat. I went to the local borough after being living there and was told that basically um, there was not much he could do because all their B&Bs were upstairs, so they wouldn't be able to even put me into temporary accommodation. So I ended up becoming street homeless for nearly two years. And how did you end up to get off the street? And how did you end up going from being homeless in London to now living in Clonakilty? All right. (laughs) Okay. Well, I got my life sorted out, and you know, in London and all that, I started looking into my original biological mother, who was from the Irish travelling community. And I started looking into her family research because I have a curiosity and obviously a strong interest. So I I used to come over to holiday to West Cork. I stayed in Bandham in halfway for quite a number of times on a holiday. Like the area, came into Clon and started looking into more. I need to find out that my mother's people were all here in West Cork. Wow. So I ended up coming over here with no family, you know, toys, ending up getting lots of toys, and some good, some bad. That's the same with all families. And I know yeah. you've ended up having to have uh, both of your uh, legs amputated yeah, from, uh, from, above, uh, from above the knees. So talk to me about how the Wheelchair Association, the role the Wheelchair Association mm-hmm. plays in your life. Well, before my amputation, I was a member of the IWA. Um, I found, first found out about them four years ago or five years ago. And they've been fantastic. They changed my life overnight. At that time, I, was, I wasn't driving. I was stuck indoors. I only could come out if I got um, like minibus taxi. My life was very limited. Yeah. And then once I found out about the IWA, I was able to go out on day trips, go to the centre, and be treated like anybody else. Because I do have a bit of a problem where I get fed up with so uh, not everyone, but the average able-bodied person treats you special because you're in a chair. 
they presume your brain yeah. doesn't work yeah. rather than your legs. <laughs> yeah, the, the famous uh, one to somebody in a wheelchair, does does he take sugar in his coffee or does he yeah. take sugar? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've had that myself. Have I've you? Yeah, it's shocking. With a friend and they've even, when I've actually, my friend got given a menu and then I asked for a menu and she gave me a menu and then she, I just said, out politeness, because I said, female, oh, God, what do you want? Because I was treating her yeah. um, to lunch. And the lady took the order, and then she promptly says, and what would your friend mind? <laughs> oh, my goodness. As if you couldn't, as if you couldn't speak. Anyway, listen, life is good yeah. with you at the moment. I know lockdown is, is tough on, on everyone. And you've well, got it to, is, but he, uh, I'll just say, um, you know, the IWA has been fantastic, the way they've changed. You know, they've been able to help me shopping. Brilliant. Banking, all sorts of things what I didn't think I'd be able to get out to. Are you cocooning at the moment? I'm cocooning, Kate. we're getting a few more, you know, releases so I can go out now for exercises. Great. Because I could only go in my garden. I couldn't even take my dog for a walk or anything. But um, now we can, so that's made a bit of a difference. Okay, and listen. As I say, we only got a snapshot of 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 your life story. Yeah. It's it's an incredible life story. Uh, use the time in lockdown to write that book, Marco. You've got a great uh, yeah. you've got a great story. Listen, thank you for joining us and talking to us on the program You're this welcome. morning. Good morning I'm to really you, um, uh, Marco. They're joining us from uh, from Clonakilty. Uh, Nags, typical of somebody whose life has been has been completely changed around because of the Irish Wheelchair Association. Well, it's it's lovely to hear that. I I have to say it's um, and I suppose that's what's so important with the the work that we do. It's about supporting people to achieve, you know, to to live a a normal life, to be part of their community. Um, and I have to say that our the communities have been so good, so supportive prior to the pandemic, you know, all along, and more so now. Um, our local communities, they're you know, they've, it's really important and. They really support the work that we do, um, which makes things so much easier as well, you know. Um, Talk and, you to know, me, though, about fundraising, uh, Max. What, what's yeah, happened with fundraising? Um, well, I suppose like that, overnight, um, our fundraising came to came to a grinding halt. You know, we've been forced to postpone our nationwide fundraising activities and close our network of charity shops. So it's a really difficult time, like... For, for everybody and um, we you know we have to raise over two million above our HSE funding to keep our vital services going wow. so, um, so we know that it's a difficult time for everybody and we're asking people if they can afford it to make a donation to support our our frontline workers and people with physical disabilities in their communities and um, we've launched a fundraising initiative called my big day in May for IWA okay. and we're encouraging people to do a fundraiser in aid of the organisation between now and the 30th of May so this can be anything from setting a sporting challenge to taking part we've a, a nationwide virtual run and roll challenge where people are running or rolling two five or ten kilometres for the Irish Wheelchair Association but you know whatever fundraising or whatever support people can give we would be very very grateful for um just to keep keep the services going because they they are so important to people they are vital yeah. to people to to keep be part of uh, and there, and, there the, and there are the difference between leading an independent life isn't it i mean that's that, oh that, absolutely 
you know, especially like our assisted living service, really where you have, you know, um, personal assistance continuing, they're visiting people's homes, you know, without that support, a number of people wouldn't be able to live independently because, you know, these um, personal assistants support people with personal care, they support people with, you know, other tasks that allow them to, to live independently. And, you know, that's so important. Being Being independent is, you know, it's just... The most important thing, yeah, just because they're, they're have, just because know? they're they're in a chair, it doesn't it doesn't mean that they can't have and uh, uh, be being in, independent. You mentioned your charity shops, uh, Mags. It's one of the things we constantly hear from people how much they miss uh, miss charity shops. Have you any idea when your network of charity shops will be back up and running? I don't no. unfortunately have any, you know. Um, but I would say as soon as we possibly can, yeah, because you know, like that, they are important for communities as well. Because we all, you know, we all love going into a charity shop I, and I, listen, finding a, a bargain and a. I keep a saying, <laughs> I keep saying, since this lockdown, I can't get over the number of people who every week we get contacted by people saying, "Any idea when the charity shop? Really miss the charity shops." Um, that you know, yeah. they're, they're great and they've sprung up all over the place. They are, and I suppose they're a, you know, it's a win-win situation because you know you're supporting a, a cause and a service and a vital um, service as well by by supporting them. So hopefully sooner rather than later, you know, yeah, um, yeah. and but look, we, we just grateful for the support that people give us um, throughout the year with them as well. So what, whatever, um, we'll just keep going. Yeah. And, and your actual, and your community centres, no idea when, they, when they'll be back up and running. Um, no, no, unfortunately, I suppose in, we'll have to follow the, the government and the HSE guidelines, but we are trying to, you know, expand our outreach now to, you know, possibly as easing restrictions. It could mean that someone could go somewhere, you know, um, which sounds, it's just a small thing, but as we've all discovered over the last 10 or 11 weeks, it's actually the small things are the most important things, you know. So, um, So, look, we will keep responding to whatever needs are out there in as safely as possible. We, you know, maintaining safety and just changing as day by day. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. Listen, keep flying the flag. You're doing great work at the Irish Wheelchair Association and it was a real pleasure to talk to you and to Marco and Mags. Thanks for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Mags O'Connor there who is with the Irish Wheelchair Association. She's the service director uh, at the Mallow branch of the Irish Wheelchair Association. And thanks to Marco uh, joining us on the line from Clonakilty. 1850 333 103. Keep your questions coming in for Annalise, please. Uh, Your nutritional questions because she's going to join us after 12 o'clock today. You can call us at 1850 333 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Tom in Rathgormach uh, says as to flights going back into this country and people talking about and looking for airports uh, to reopen we'd be better off if the schools started back and leave the airports uh, closed those young people that were involved in that brawl in uh, Rochester I wonder how many of those should have been doing their leaving cert they would have been better off inside the school doing their leaving cert than out getting involved in a street brawl and that's from Tom in Rathgormach Okay we're going to take a break we have news at 12 midday on the way Annalise Drissel 
We'll answer your nutritional questions. We'll also catch up with the Kilbritton postman who cycled the equivalent of climbing Mount Everest and he did it on Saturday. All coming up after 12. Somebody picking up on the story on the news with Pierce at uh, 12 o'clock talking about, we haven't heard for quite some time, talking about the number of people on trolleys here in Cognau. Numbers are low to what they used to be, but with COVID-19 and with an end of uh, very few people going to the hospitals and with no elective surgeries uh, happening, we we were, there wasn't the the INMO's trolley watch figures had just disappeared because there was nobody waiting on trolleys in the accident emergency department but uh, today now the first day many many weeks that we're reporting about that on the news and somebody says Patricia how can anyone be waiting on a trolley when all of our hospitals are said to be empty are we back to the old health problem issues at our hospitals again uh, well I, I, I take it it's to do with the fact that people are going back into hospitals and are being treated and people are getting callbacks and and like we were talking earlier with poor old Jim who contacted us and needs to get cataracts both of his eyes in, in need, are in need of cataract operations he's on a medical card he's been told that if he's to wait he'll be waiting many many years he's decided to go private and he was wondering so any grants nobody's come up with any grants as I thought I don't, don't know of any grants that are available to get work like that to decide to go privately unless he goes up north to Belfast and then he can claim the money back. But to get it done locally, it doesn't work that way. You've got to go out of the state. It's the cross-border initiative. You, you go anywhere in Europe as well. It's, it's, it's a European Union um, initiative. But Margaret was on to say she was due to get her cataract surgery and it was she was waiting four years on the waiting list. She finally got an appointment uh, and then COVID-19 hit and her appointment had to be cancelled at the Cork University Hospital and we heard of just heartbreaking stories there's so many people waiting like that waiting four years finally get an appointment date and guess what happens there's a pandemic and they've cancelled all of those elective surgeries it was just soul destroying for so many people anyway Margaret was on to us with a bit of good news to say she received a call from the Martyr Hospital in Cork and uh, she had her surgery and it was all done through her medical card and all of that because that's what they're doing they're now using the private hospitals to do a lot of those that elective surgery that was cancelled and people who had an appointments cancelled are suddenly getting appointments to go to private hospitals even though they're still being treated under their medical card and all of that but they've been treated at private hospitals in, in, instead so I suppose the knock-on is that's happening in the main hospitals as well and the knock-on now unfortunately means that we have uh, people now on waiting lists which is sad to think that we're going to be going back to that again. Okay and thank you to loads and loads and loads and loads of people pointing out uh, the uh, giving out about the the criticism of poor old Daniel and Magella with a listener saying that they heard Daniel and Magella say and I came in as Daniel and Magella were already on air so I missed them saying this bit so I didn't re- didn't even question how they got from Donegal down to Dublin and they'd said they'd come in a private jet but it was a joke some, just let me just give you some this is just a small sample of some of the calls and texts and Margaret said oh my God Patricia I've never heard such a complaint about Daniel and Magella uh, o- O'Donnell and the complaint was that they were down to look for money for the Society of Vincent de Paul and look at the money they wasted on a private jet and that money could have gone to the charity. That's what the listener uh, who contacted us was saying. Anyway, Margaret uh, says Daniel and Magella are very, very charitable people. They came to Dublin to canvas for financial support for the Society of Vincent de Paul 
So what if they flew? Would that person ever get alive? But they did fly, but they didn't fly on a private jet. That's where the mistake is. Hi, Patricia. Magella actually had to take to social media to clarify the inadvertent comments flying on the private jet comment. It was a joke. It related to how quiet the regional flight was from Donegal to Dublin. It was three other people on the plane. People are very quick to cast judgment. Where is our sense of humour gone? And someone else says, Daniel Magella didn't hire a private jet. It was a joke. It's apparently a plane that flies daily from Donegal to uh, Dublin. There was criticism on Twitter as well. And Magella has had to come out publicly and state that it wasn't a uh, private uh, jet. And Anne says that was a joke by Magella about the private jet. The plane travels to Dublin every day from Donegal and it's not private. There was no one else on it. So that's why she, in a humorous way, said it was like flying flying on a private uh, jet. Look at the amount of money that Daniel and Magella raised by coming to Dublin on Friday night. They... The, those begrudgers, how much do they raise? They're a wonderful couple, says Am. The amount that Daniel gives to all of the mu- musicians starting up, they are lovely, generous people. I am very happy because about three months ago, he asked me to dance the stack of barley with him. I don't know that dance. Anyway, Anne says he's a lovely dancer. I even got a video of some of it that somebody sent it on to me. What a lovely, lovely memory to have, yeah. And I know any time we've interviewed Daniel and indeed Magella, Daniel probably more than Magella over the years, he's just such a warm, warm uh, person. And what I loved, and I don't know if many people have seen this and they've touched on it on the late, late as well, is him going around to the local nursing homes and singing in the windows. Just gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And I had seen it actually. People had put it up on some of the nursing homes had put it up on their social media sites. So I had seen that he had been doing that and the way, you know, the way he spoke about the for people who didn't see the interview on, on Friday night, he spoke about the fact that he just got the idea to maybe I'll go down and sing a few songs for them. And it's one particular nursing home that he always goes to on Christmas morning and sings for them. And they decided they'd go down. It was such a success now. He's travelling around Donegal and he has a letter saying he can go outside his wife kilometres zone in order to go and to give some musical entertainment to the people in nursing homes and I know locally that's happening as well. We mentioned Hank Waddell in Mallow was down at Nazareth House. I saw him on social media as well which is lovely but fabulous thing for Daniel O'Donnell to do as well. He's, he's a generous, kind, kind man. So I am glad to clarify that Daniel and Magella O'Donnell did not fly by private jet. It was the ordinary Stobart, isn't it, for Aer Lingus fly, those, those regional flights. It's a regional plane that goes every day from Donegal to uh, Dublin and they, so they paid their normal flights and I take it RT probably paid for for the flights uh, down but that's all it was. It wasn't a private jet so I'm glad to clarify that. And we're asking people as well to share their what they're missing most and what they can't wait for once lockdown is uh, gone. Anne says, I miss my grandchildren. I don't expect to be with them for a long time as they live abroad. I miss dancing at the weekend with uh, my friends and I don't expect that to be happening for a long time uh, either. You're not on your own. There's so many people missing out on the dancing and hopefully it'll be back for the, the people who really, really are missing it. Lots of questions coming in there for Annalise. Can you keep those coming, please? Jackie and Mallow says, Hi Patricia, I can't wait for Dunn's clothes shop to reopen in Mallow. I have a huge drawer of bras, but I have only one that fits me, says Jackie in Mallow. Uh, some of the, I think, I, we heard 
was it last week we heard from somebody that they've moved some of the clothing from the clothing department into the food department in the Mallow branch of Dunstores. I don't know if there's bras hanging up there or not, uh, Jackie. And of course, for people living in other parts of the city and county, a lot of the duns, the clothes and the food are together so you can buy you can get the clothes but in Mallow they're two separate shops they're in the same complex but they've two different entrances so when the food place is open and when the lockdown started they closed off the closed place completely so you can't get but I've heard haven't seen it but I've heard that some of the clothes have been moved in if anybody's been in Duns in Mallow recently did you see any bras hanging up because poor Jackie in Mallow is surviving on one she's only one left that uh, fits her at the moment so that's what she's waiting to uh, reopen and someone else actually and this someone else is on about what they miss most and can't wait to come back is mass please bring Mass back and that's from a Mill Street uh, listener. We're going to be talking actually with the Irish Association of Catholic Priests tomorrow because they've come out and said don't rush the opening up of churches. Churches have reopened for private prayer but they're saying don't rush in and look for the big masses to be back. I think they're fearful if they get big crowds inside in the church as to what is going to happen. So we will talk about that uh, tomorrow on uh, the programme. If somebody else wants to know why in the name of God are off licences still open, how were they ever deemed to be essential? And they never closed. They've been open uh, since the start. And when people are talking about pubs, when will pubs be reopened with somebody saying that they hope that pubs don't open until at least next spring? And I said, I wondered how many people would agree with that. Somebody is agreeing and says, Trish, there are some people that wish the pubs would never reopen again. It's the only bit of relief they and ease that they are getting that some homes are getting is not having a loved one down in the pub all day. I, for one, hope and pray that they'll stay closed. Uh, sorry, but this is coming from the heart. Yeah, nobody knows what goes on in houses behind uh, closed doors. Thank you. I appreciate your text to 0862 103 103. We were talking about driving tests last week and how young people in the main are really feeling uh, disenfranchised because they can't take a driving test. Many of them were very close to taking it. Some had the actual driving test date. They were test ready and then it got cancelled and we, we still don't know when they're the driving tests are going to be back up and running. I mean, the two metre social distancing seems to be putting a right old kibosh uh, on it. A listener says, for those who are waiting on driving tests, if they've sat a test before and almost passed, could the tester not do a predictive result, a little bit like what they're doing for the leaving search? A lot of people, when they fail their driving test, are told, go away, get a little bit more practice and you'll definitely pass next uh, time. People who found themselves in that position, could the tester not give a predictive result and say, yeah, they've now had whatever it is, three, six months of additional practice. They are ready to drive on the roads. It would free up tests for all the thousands that never sat a test at all. I wonder what some of your listeners would think of that suggestion, says a uh, listener. So a predictive. And again, somebody asked about predictive grades last week. Could instructors, you know, because most, the majority, well, well, everybody now on a learner permit has to do the 12 lessons with an instructor and an instructor, generally speaking, has a pretty good idea who's going to pass and who's not going to pass. And somebody was saying, we're asking the teachers 
the Leaving Cert student teachers to give predictive grades. Why don't we do the same with driving instructors? I don't know how driving instructors themselves would feel about it, but there's somebody else saying rather than give it to everybody, it's just people who would have done a test and failed but the tester said they were very close to passing. They just needed practice. Could we give licences to those instead? 1850 at 333103. And somebody's asking, Patricia, have you any idea on when the Bank of Ireland in Mill Street will reopen? Actually, we, we this came up last week on the programme as well and we put it through to, we put, we sent an email through to Bank of Ireland to ask them and they said that they had no a definite date on when it's reopening. But I read in the papers today that fears have been raised about a new round of bank branch closures as a result of the pan- pandemic. Um, the, the, it's coming as the, the virus has fast-tracked a shift from the use of cash to digital payments and a move away from the bank branches to more people doing online transactions. We know the Bank of Ireland has temporarily closed 101 of its smaller branches and they are mainly in rural areas like the Mill Street one that that listener is highlighting. Now the bank have declined to give any commitment to reopening them or any dates on when they went when they hope to reopen them. The Financial Services Union said greater use of technology in favour of branch transactions should not be used as an excuse for a wholesale closure of branches by the banks. And then there was a survey commissioned by the Banking and Payments Federation and they found that the pandemic has meant that just 12% of people are going into branches to access their, their account and there has been a move to contactless payments, a move to online and a move to mobile app banking instead. 64% of bank customers now use branches less than once a month and some say that they never use a branch although most people expect to revert to branch banking post-COVID-19 but there are, fair, there are fears now that many will never go back to using them because there mightn't be a branch open for them so that's as much as I can tell you but there's definitely we contacted Bank of Ireland and we have no date as to when that branch is going to reopen a number of questions coming in there for Annalise keep those coming please can anybody help out Dennis he needs to get a battery put into his watch somewhere in the city please does anybody know of a shop where Dennis can go to get a battery replaced in his watch if anybody can help us with that 1850 333 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council supporting businesses supporting communities serving Cork visit corkcoco.ie Bandon based band The Shrugs They have stayed connected with their musical friends during lockdown and they've compiled a series of music videos called The Covert Collective. It comprises of talented musicians from Ireland, the United Kingdom and Europe. And you can view them on their Facebook page, which is the Shrugs Band Cork. They have four so far in the series and the latest one is a cover of Gilbert O'Sullivan's Get Down. Castle Magna Community Development, they intend publishing a collection of stories, poems, etc. from bygone years. And they're asking their elderly community to recall stories and events which they've witnessed over the years or of which they may have heard their relatives talk about long ago. Members of the Community Development Association will be in touch in the coming weeks. And Grow Mental Health Recovery have developed a six-week course entitled Creating Hope and Staying Positive in COVID-19. The programme contains tips and advice on how to deal with the pandemic over the next few weeks and you can log on to their website at www.grow.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia.
Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now I'm always blown away by some of the imaginative ways that people are coming up with to fundraise money for worthwhile causes, particularly during this pandemic. So to find out how local Kilbritton postman Declan Fitzgerald got on when he decided to cycle the equivalent of climbing Mount Everest from his home in Bandon. Uh, Declan joins me. Uh, good afternoon to you, Declan. Hello, I'm I'm very well, and I know that you you did this challenge on Saturday. Does every part of your body ache today, or have you any side effects? I was surprisingly okay afterwards. Um, I actually went out for a 25k cycle yesterday. Ash, as you do, as you do. Go back easy and no hills. Go 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 back to Saturday then, and talk us through what you did. I basically set up my turbo trainer, connected it up to the Zwift online training app and climbed 8,848 metres, um, covering 226 kilometres and 14 hours and two minutes of cycling. 14 hours and two minutes, my God. What's a turbo trainer? A turbo trainer, basically, the back wheel comes off my bike it connects on to this stand, basically. And the iPad changes the um, the resistance on the bike. So if you're going up a 2% gradient, you feel the resistance. If it goes up to 10% or that, you feel the, the gradient change. And do you, so re- do you really feel it? You do. Yeah. Really, really feel it. <laughs> it's, it feels very, very realistic. No, you don't have wind to contend with or weather. Yeah, the elements. What you do have against that is constant heat. Like, I I did part of it outdoors and I had three fans blowing at me and I was still absolutely roasting the whole time. But, you know, it's, it was worth it. How did you come up with the idea of, of doing the Ever- the equivalent of Everest? I honestly don't know. <laughs> I when when all this lockdown came into place, um Cycling Ireland put up um a Cycling Ireland Swift League for races. Though I wouldn't be a racer by any stretch of the imagination. But they have different categories in this. And I was doing one race one day, my chain came off on the bike and I just by the time I got it fi- fixed and that I was the race was gone. I was at the bottom of this hill that I was going doing. And I decided, you know, I'll cycle up there. And when I came back down, I decided I'll do it again. And I kind of said, you know, that's two times. It's only another six and a half times up it. And that's where the idea came from. Fantastic. Fantastic. What, what, what was the toughest part of the 14 hours? The toughest part was from 7,000 metres to about 8,500 metres. So that was roughly from about 10 hours to about 13 hours in. Yeah. It was, and that it was more mental than physical. No, I couldn't have done it without the, the members from the Bendon Cycling Club. I had about nine or ten of them joined me virtually throughout the day. Yeah, and were you able to chat with them or interact we, with them? Or? We were able to, we were texting away across the day. Okay. They were appearing on my iPad screen in front of me so that they were there. I knew well, it's not the same as being out with, with them on the road. That was 
you know, we were we were there. We were t- together. They were encouraging me. Yeah, but you, yeah, you dropping. still knew. You still knew they were there. Yeah. Um, like it was. You know, I was absolutely delighted with the with all the help. I then we had neighbours calling down to the back wall and. <laughs> I was going to say shouting abuse, but most of them weren't shouting abuse. I was going to say shouting in at you, and you, not that you could have much of a conversation. I, I imagine is it is it more of a was the mental endurance tougher than the physical side? I mean, obviously, you know the fact that you went out for a twenty five k cycle tomorrow. You're you're a fit guy, so is is it the mental side of it's harder? It was yeah, like from as I said, from seven thousand to eight and a half thousand, it got. Very, very tough. Um, my family were around me. My wife and kids and my grandson came in. And there were times I was chatting away to them. But from that, around that time, the headphones went in and I just ignored them because I was just concentrating on what I was doing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I... I said that night that never again would I look at a hill on a bike. <laughs> and the following morning, I was actually looking on Strava to see what hills were around the place that I could do at outdoors. Unreal. Un- unreal. Did you take breaks during the day? I took about, in total, about 45 minutes of breaks to have food and to change my gear and that. Yeah, but I, that was it. I changed the shorts every three laps and it was the guts of nine, nine laps in total. Did you eat a lot during the... I mean, there was a lot of calories, would you, for that? I, looking at staff afterwards, I burnt just under 8,500 calories for the day. Um, I drank just over 7.5 litres of carbohydrates and electrolyte drinks. Um, constantly just nibbling on bananas, um, energy bars that my daughter had made for me. Um stopped at one stage and had pasta and just 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 constantly keeping hydrated, keeping the small bits of food going in. Yeah. Because you couldn't eat too much in one go. Yeah, you couldn't have a huge and a huge just, big meal. Just to keep keep things ticking over and keep the energy levels up. Um keeping a constant eye on my power out outage and my heart rate and that to make sure that I wasn't pushing too hard and that I'd burn out before the end of it. It was just a question of pacing and just keeping the fingers crossed. Well, <laughs> well, you, well you did it. And I imagine slept like a baby Saturday night or were so pumped with adrenaline it took you a while to calm down. Saturday night I went into bed at half eleven and I didn't hear a sound until <laughs> nine o'clock yesterday morning. <laughs> Last night in, on the other hand, I was wide awake until three o'clock yeah. and I couldn't sleep, yeah. I think. <laughs> okay, well well, 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 well done. It's just, it's just, I couldn't, I could not believe when I saw it written down. I said, this, is this guy off his trolley? What is he thinking of? It's You're just not the first inc- one to say that. It's just incredible. And, and you selected Pieta House, um, Declan. What, explain, explain your thought pattern there. Well, with the darkness and the light and the family, we've supported that the last few years. I don't think there's a family in the country that hasn't been affected by either suit suicide or mental health issues and I just I was trying to think of a charity to do it for and I just said they were they were one of the first that came to my mind and I just said you know no originally I had hoped that I might raise about 500 euro for them but at the moment that's up to 3,990 euro so 
Isn't that great? Hope, hopefully now we might get the final push and get it up over the 4,000. That's brilliant. That. And how can people donate, Declan? Um, I've an iDonate page at iDonate.ie forward slash Dick Fitzy. That's D-E-C-F-I-T-Z-Y. Or if you if you Google V Everesting for Pieta. Okay. That'll take you to the page as well. And I mentioned in the introduction you're the postman in Kilbritton. I am, yeah. Yeah, you, you're working flat out at the moment. Absolutely. No, yeah. I'm, I'm not this week because I'm actually after getting this week off. Well, we tell this. You, <laughs> you deserve it, that. <laughs> well, <laughs> but it, yeah, it has been crazy at, at work. But, you know, people are, they're at home, they're, for a lot of people, we're the only one that they're actually seen. I know, so are, I know. They're grateful for the social side of things as much as the delivery of the parcels and the letters. And you keep an eye on, on the, the, particularly the cocooners, Declan, the ones yeah, on their own. And, no, the thing is, down around country areas, out where a lot of postmen would be calling in to visit their own, their customers or people living on their own, anyway. Yeah. That's, but it's, this, at this time, these times though, it is more of a, more of a job, and, but you know, the, the people appreciate us, and, yeah, but you're right. It isn't anything new to postmen and postwomen. You've been doing no, it all along. Really. It's just yeah. the focus. The focus went on it. Listen, my, you're my my father was a postman for forty years, and he can he used to be doing this was back it? in his day. Yeah. They'd be calling in, so it's you know it's part and parcel of the job. Yeah, that's not officially written down in the job, but it is part and parcel. Well of the done, job. well done. Your 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 job is incredible. But what what you've done on Saturday is just amazing. Uh, it's amazing. Everyone very proud I, of you. In particular, I'd I, say Bandon Cycling Club. Well, they were, they were a huge help to me. Okay. In, between the training and on the actual day. And just before I came on the phone there to you, there was a crowd called Hills 500 Club who they look o- overlook all the Everesting challenges and that. And I just got an email from them to say that my Saturday spin had met all their criteria. Hey. So up, in their, up in their Hall of Fame. Hey, well done. <laughs> well done. Well, you run our Hall of Fame for sure, uh, Declan. Once again, congratulations. It's an incredible achievement. And thank you for joining us on the programme today. That's great. Okay, God bless. Bye bye. Enjoy you. your week bye. off. That is Declan Fitzgerald, the Kilbritton postman, on his amazing achievement on, on Saturday, the equivalent of climbing uh, Mount Everest, and he did it on his bike. What a man. Okay, can I give a quick shout out to some to Kate, who was listening to us, I'm told, in Prague. I've just had a text in to say, Kate's listening to you in Prague, and she's enjoying the programme. Uh, good afternoon to you, Kate, and it's good to have you along in Prague. And Alan Finn's debut D- DVD, The Road to Crossfields is now available at Hurley Centra in Mallow, Doherty Centra in Buttevant, Lees Centra in Charleville, Supervalue in Charleville and in shops in Fremont and Newtown and all proceeds are in aid of Marymount Hospice. That's Alan Finn's debut DVD, The Road to Crossfields. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 I'm going to the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic where Annalise Drissel uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Let's get straight in with questions. Eileen wants, Infomoy wants to know, what is the difference between the turmeric tablets that you get in the health shop and the turmeric you would buy in Supervalue? And would either of them are either of them good for somebody who suffers from constant UTIs? So the um, 
Okay, so the turmeric that you get in the herb for the cooking, that is just the root, um, which has been grated and powdered. And if you just get plain turmeric capsules, that's what you're getting in those as well. Now, the one that you buy in the supermarket, Patricia, I I actually don't even really get a proper taste from that when I'm cooking. I have a lovely one here in the health shop, and it's 470 for 200 grams. So it's way cheaper than what you'd buy in the supermarket. And it's lovely and fresh. It tastes a lot different. So I'd say if you want to take the powder, go to the health shop and get the proper one. Um, So the other thing I'd say then about the turmeric tablets is that a lot of them have the turmeric extract in them. So curcumin is the active component in turmeric. That's the anti-inflammatory one. So a lot of um, tablets will have the extract in there. You'd need to take, generally it's the rule of 10, um, you'd need to maybe take 10 times the amount of the turmeric powder to get the same amount of curcumin that you might get in a capsule. So it can be, if you've got a very um, bad arthritis or if you've got a very chronic inflammatory condition, I definitely would take the curcumin, the extract bit, rather than the powder because you just wouldn't be able to get the... the you wouldn't get enough in in, yeah, in the turmeric you put into cooking. Exactly. Now, and I good mean, for UTIs? For UTIs, no, I no. don't think so at all. So okay. for UTIs, really, what you're looking for is something that um, prevents the bacteria from sticking on. D-mannose is brilliant for that. So the bacteria need to make a little hook and they need to get that hook in between the cells of the bladder and the urinary tract. If they can't get that hook in, they can't stick on, they're flushed out. So D-mannose helps that, prevents them from sticking on. And then the second thing that you need is a good ba- a probiotic. So if you can get the good bacteria in there that can stick on to uh, to the bladder wall, they crowd out all the space. So it's very hard then for the bacteria that cause infections to be able to multiply and grow. So you can get a combination product or you can get separately D-mannose and um, the probiotic in a health shop and it works wonderfully. I have many women who are antibiotic now for, for a few years on that approach. Eileen in Bantry. Could you ask Annalise, please, about facial neuralgia? She's using painkillers. What could Annalise recommend? Yeah, oh gosh, Patricia, that's a very difficult one, to be honest. And I don't know whether there be any supplement that would help with it. Um, possibly the cannabis oil is great for anything to do with pain and neuralgia. Um, now, the cannabis oil doesn't have the hallucinatory component in it, so it's safe to take and drive. You'll pass all the drug tests. And most health shops will have um, cannabis oil in stock. Just make sure you ask them if they've found that that brand works for them because I find that some brands, I don't get good feedback on them. Um, so that cannabis oil can be good for pain, but with the facial neuralgia, I'd nearly maybe suggest something like acupuncture or maybe some spinal manipulation because if it's a trapped nerve or if it's coming from the jaw, a lot of the time people who suffer from TMJ with their jaw will get facial neuralgia as well. It's nerve pain in the face. So going to somebody who can maybe do a little bit of spinal manipulation or a bit of massage or a bit of acupuncture that can maybe free up nerve signals, that's probably a better approach. I got that TMJ now years ago. It only ever happened once to me. It was after a dental appointment. Uh, It was a problem with a wisdom tooth. So I was in the dental chair for a long time um, and I ended up with a TMJ. I will never forget the pain of it. It was unreal. And it was a cranial osteopath that I went yes. to in the end. And I remember going and thinking, is this working at all? It felt like I was just lying there with somebody holding my head and putting a finger in my mouth sort of thing. But by God, did it work? It does work. And there's some very, very good um, um, osteopaths 
in in Cork City. So if anybody wants the name of one, let give a ring, and I'm very happy to recommend. Um, and you don't want anything too aggressive. Patricia, you don't want anyone kind of cracking bones too much. No, this was the most gentle thing and I went for about six weeks, I think, and boom, and I've, thank God, never had the TMJ, never come back. Thank God. Okay, Eileen in West Cork has a problem. The roof of her mouth is sore. She got tablets to gargle from the doctor, but not having any success. Uh, They didn't do much good. What would cause the roof of your mouth to be sore? Gosh, I don't know, Patricia. Um, there could be a few things, really. Um, it's always a difficult one to pin down. Um, I know that sometimes with menopause, women get something called like burning mouth syndrome, where the roof of the mouth or the tongue could feel like it's it's been burned by taking a hot, too hot drink. So possibly it could be something like that. Um, I mean, the doctor, I'm sure, checked to make sure it was no kind of infection or anything. Um, sometimes a lack of vitamin B, can cause sort of sore and burning tongue and cracked cracks at the side of the mouth. So taking a vitamin B complex would be um, a good sort of just general all-rounder to try to make sure that it wasn't a B deficiency. Glossitis, I think, is actually the official term for the tongue if you're a B deficient and the tongue gets quite sore and red looking. Um, so possibly maybe a, a, a deficiency. If that take a B complex, um, maybe... Be careful of the mouthwash that you're using or the toothpaste that you're using. Maybe there's a chemical in it that you're reacting to. Oh, the other thing that could be interesting, maybe if she started eating a lot more berries this time of the year now when the strawberries are in season and we're getting lots of berries, some people react to the histamine in the berries and they would get very, um, they might get ulcers or they might get sore, um, sore mouths from it. So maybe if you're eating berries, that could be the reason. Keep a, keep a look at that. Okay. Hi, would Annalise have a cure for ringworm in children? They picked it up from kittens who have now been treated by the vet. Kittens obviously have been treated by the vet and now we've ended up with the children with the ring with the ringworm and it's highly contagious. Highly any, contagious. any suggestion? There is. There's lots of herbs that are very good for worms but unfortunately um, it's not possible to buy these herbs over the counter for kids. You'd have to go to a herbalist. So the best thing to do really in that case is go to the pharmacy and just get the worming tablet and just worm the kids with the worming tablet. I don't even think you need a prescription. You just get them over the counter. Okay. And does that, is there a tablet for ring for a ringworm? In, in I thought ringworm was on the skin. Isn't it? Because but if you do a worming tablet, would that would probably just works the same way? Yes. Okay, I didn't realize yes. that. Okay, off now, go. the other thing you could use on the skin, possibly. But to be honest, I wouldn't really even feel, Patricia, that it would would be strong enough to work. Would be the citricidal grapefruit seed extract. That's very good for, as an antifungal and an anti-worm, and would be safe to put on the skin for children. Yeah. I always take that if I'm going on holidays to make sure I don't get a stomach bug if the water is a bit dodgy. So that could be something to do, but I think maybe you'd have to treat it internally. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's a nasty thing. And it's good to know that the cat, little kids have been sorted out as well. Hi, Anities. Uh, any suggestion, please, to stop constant burping? It's when I begin to eat. Oh. So I think probably what could be happening there, yeah, but there's there's a couple of reasons. What could be happening there is when you start to eat, you're starting to get acid released into the stomach, and you need a good strong acid in order to digest your food properly. Um, if if there is um, food going into the stomach and the acid isn't very, is is very strong and the food is alkaline, it could possibly producing gas that would cause you to burp. The one way to know if this is the problem is to take a drink of bread soda. Um, if you if if you start. One way to test how strong your acid is actually is to take a drink of bread soda, Patricia. And if you start burping very quickly, it means your acid is good and strong. If you don't start burping, it means your acid is weak and you need a little bit of 
support in terms of a digestive enzyme to put the acid in there. So that would be something to try to see, is it too strong or too weak, and address it accordingly. If it's too strong, then you could take something like slippery elm, and that would help with that. The other reason that people burp a lot is the presence of helicobacter pylori in the stomach. They live in the mucus-producing cells, and over time, if they damage the cells too much, the cells can no longer produce enough mucus to cover the lining, and then the stomach becomes ulcerated. So a lot of the time, stomach ulcers are as a result of this bacteria, and burping would be a very particular sign. Um, So try those two things, but I think a digestive enzyme probably would sort it out. Uh, Whether or not you have one with acid or not, do the... um, the bread soda test and if you're burping very very quickly get a digestive enzyme without acid and if you don't burp at all you need one with acid and can you stay on that permanently permanently i yeah. take one all the time Patricia. Okay. it makes it makes a big difference hi question for annalise please i am i've been on painkillers for a pain on the left hand side of my face i don't have it during the day but it gets very painful but only at night another oh, facial pain yeah, that's again, that's kind of like the neuralgia, Patricia. Isn't yeah. it? I wonder, I wonder again, is, 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 see, I suppose there could be many different reasons for this now. Um, and where, where is it coming from? Is it kind of pain around the eye socket? Is the pain more down from the ear into the jaw? Would it be down to clenching teeth maybe during the day if you're concentrating very hard? Maybe your jaw is a bit clenched if you're stressed. Um, I think probably the best thing to do is again, maybe go and visit um, an osteopath and see can they you know, work on that. Um, natural remedies for facial pain are limited because really if you go to the doctor, what they're just doing is giving you a painkiller. So it's really about finding the cause. The other reason it could be, and it doesn't sound like it is, pain from shingles. If you've had a bout of shingles recently and you, you're left over with pain in the face, that happens quite a lot. Um, that's more of a kind of an antiviral approach. Um, and in which case you could take things, maybe lysine is very good after shingles to take or the uh, olive leaf extract. But it doesn't sound like it in this case. I think that sounds more like the neuralgia question we had earlier. It, uh, that's, that's why I was thinking. It's, it's very similar to, to the other question. OK, uh, we time for a final one. We do. Uh, uh, Gar Mary in her 20s has very bad fungal nails on her toes. She's tried numerous things. She doesn't want to take tablets if she doesn't have to. She's looking for an alternative method. Yes. What works for fungal so on nails? Back to the, the grapefruit seed extract, the citricidal that I was saying, maybe treat the skin with the ringworm with. So again, it's a great natural antifungal. Um, and it comes in a little bottle. It's by a company called Higher Nature and most health shops will have it. So you can actually, if the skin isn't broken, you can actually apply the drops directly to the nail and it does work very, very well. It takes about six to eight weeks, Patricia, as well, for the nail to grow up. So it's not going to fix the nail that's already been damaged by the fungus, but you should see healthy new nail coming up. And the important thing to do is actually to treat your socks as well because um, if it is a nail fungus, it will be in the socks. So make sure you wash your socks at 100 degrees in the washing machine. Um, you could also put a few drops of the citricidal into that wash. And if it was, um, I think it's probably a good idea to treat your your shoes as well, just to maybe rub the citricidal around the inside of the shoe to make sure you're killing off any fungus in runners and things like that. Can it spread from one toe to the other toe? Is it, is it like contagious like that? 
pressure. But to be honest, most people generally only have it on one toe and it's mostly always the big toe. The big toe, toe so yeah. Strange yeah. One. yeah. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. seem to... But it can, it can, and it can spread to the foot as well, like athlete's foot, you know, can have that kind of an effect on the foot. But you can also put this citricidal into warm water and soak your feet in it and that's lovely because the water gets right under the nail yeah. so you could do that a couple of times a week and then otherwise apply it twice a day OK that's where we leave it thank you for that Annalise Thanks have a good week and uh, we won't chat next week because it's Bank Holiday Monday so we'll chat with Annalise in uh, two weeks time that's where I leave you for today thanks to Sadie and to Bernie for taking your calls we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock until the line Patricia Messenger have a good afternoon and stay safe Cor- 